From WHYY in Philadelphia, this is Fresh Air Weekend. I'm Sam Brigger in for Terry Gross. Today, a Questlove Christmas. Questlove has made us a playlist of some of his favorite and some unusual Christmas recordings. He'll play them and tell us why he chose them. Questlove is co-founder of the hip-hop band The Roots, which is, among other things, the house band for The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. He won an Oscar this year for his documentary, Summer of Soul. It's about the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival with performances from Stevie Wonder, Sly and the Family Stone, Nina Simone, Gladys Knight and the Pips, and Mahalia Jackson. He's written books about music, including one that's a history of Soul Train, and he's famous as a DJ. And Justin Chang will share his list of the best movies of the year. Christmas with Questlove, coming up on Fresh Air Weekend. This is Fresh Air Weekend. I'm Sam Brigger, in for Terry Gross. Terry has today's interview, so I'll let her introduce it. This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. This is a moment everyone on our show has been looking forward to. It's a Questlove Christmas. Amir Questlove Thompson has returned to our show, this time with some Christmas songs to play for us. Kind of like a Questlove Christmas mixtape, the annotated version. It's an honor to have him choose recordings for us. In addition to his many credits, Questlove is perhaps the most famous, popular, and in-demand DJ. He even DJed a party for Obama. This year, Questlove won an Oscar for his documentary Summer of Soul, in which he featured film performances from the overlooked 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, which was nicknamed the Black Woodstock and featured performers like Stevie Wonder, Sly and the Family Stone, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Nina Simone, and Mahalia Jackson. Summer of Soul won a Grammy for Best Music Film. In 2021, Questlove was the music director for the Oscar ceremony. He co-founded the band The Roots. He's the band's drummer. It's the house band for The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. He was a producer of the original cast recording of Hamilton. He's written several books, including Music is History, and now is involved with several projects around plant-based, environmentally sound, tasty food. In the spring, his children's book, Rhythm and Time, will be published. Questlove, welcome back to Fresh Air. Thanks so much for doing this and choosing music for us. Why don't we start with a song that you selected? And this is a song by Dram and his mother, (laughs) who he calls Big Baby Mom. (laughs) And it's Silver Bells. And I have to tell you, there's so much really schlocky Christmas music. And Mm. that's why we're so excited to have you on the show (laughs) doing this, because you're choosing really interesting stuff. Um, So. The song Silver Bells is, is kind of high in my list of just, you know, schlocky and um, just annoying. It's one of the reasons I don't like a lot of Christmas songs. <laughs> this is a great recording. So tell us about the recording and why you chose it. Yeah, it's a very unique recording. Um, I always cringe at the um, the older person that tries to put a tag on someone younger. Like, oh, yeah, he represents Gen Z. But, I mean, Drum is... Um, Kind of the post neo soul set, like one of the uh, the artists that I, I really dig his work. He has a really soulful voice, and when I when I listen to music, I like rawness. I like mistakes. I don't think there's good notes and bad notes, or flat notes, or sharp or pitchy notes. But this is just it's a, it's almost like they're allowing us. Him and his mom are allowing us to sort of eavesdrop in at the family gathering where they're just singing to each other, and that's. Like, I really love the fact that they didn't overproduce this. Like, this is a really raw version of the song. So it kind of hits home to me. 
Let's hear it. Here we go. So this is um, Silver Bells, a good version of it. <laughs> City sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in hot latte style. In the air, there's a feeling of Christmas. Children laughing, people passing, meeting smile after smile, hand on every street corner, you hear, oh those silver bells, silver bells, silver bells, silver bells, it's a Christmas time in the city. Oh, ring-a-ling. Ring-a-ling. Hear them ring. Hear them ring. Soon it will be Christmas Day. When you were growing up and you were touring with your father's band, um, did you spend uh-huh. a lot of Christmases performing? Yeah, like we would often have uh, Christmases in very unusual places, probably one of the best places ever. Um, there was a, a resort in San Juan, Puerto Rico called the DuPont Plaza. Um, and my father would do a residency down there. Um, and I believe, like, back in 82, one of my favorite Christmases ever, like, it was real tropical. And that was the first tropical Christmas I had. Like, I spent two weeks with my family. Although they were going for, like, four months, I, I would fly down there occasionally. And um, this is the year that Michael Jackson's Thriller came out. So, you know, it was a simpler time where buying a mirror one record was, like, the entire world to him. You know, now I have to buy, like, an entire library's uh, jazz collection from like some university, but back in '82, you could just give me a Thriller record, and that was like everything to me. What songs did you have to perform around Christmas when you were touring with your father and his band Lee Andrews? You know, it's weird. Hearts? Yeah, my dad, uh, I believe once, my dad had a voice very similar to Nat King Cole, so I do remember. Uh, once in 1980, when I was nine years old, uh, kind of as an encore. Like, he would normally do, like, either Unforgettable or something like that, but he actually did the the Christmas song, and that stuck with me so good that I remember that the Roots had to fill in for a missing guest on The Tonight Show, and with only, like, two hours to plan it, um, I kind of dared Black Thought to put on his best Nat King Cole, and he he <laughs> actually did it. Like, one of our best performances. And, you know, I know people thought it was like an ironic thing, like, wait, is this a comedy bit? Like, why are the Roots performing Nat King Cole in these Christmas sweaters? And we totally played it straight. Like, you know, people were expecting, like, a hip-hop version or something like that. But, um, yeah, I wanted to do that it's just as a memory of, of performing when I was a kid. That's the chestnuts roasting on an open fire song. Yeah, the Christmas song. Nacking Cole's the Christmas song. Yeah. Yes. Well, let's get to another song on your playlist. Uh, and this is Disco Claws, which is by Bionic. Yes. And it sounds more like 
funk Santa than Disco Claus. <laughs> it is. Um, you know, there's there's these uh, two really influential DJs that have really inspired my DJ career. Um, they're from uh, the Boston area. They're called Amir and Akon. And those guys, like, they're the DJs that, like, your favorite DJs DJs listen to. And they're always, like, playing, like, really obscure music that's really under the radar. And uh, I believe DJ Amir is the one that put me on to uh, this particular piece, which, you know, it has a good drum break to it. And I think it came out in 1977 by a group called The Bionic. Yeah. Okay, let, let's hear it. It was the night before Christmas with all to the pad. Not a record for spinning things really look bad. Disco Claus came into town, pumpkin all the toys around. Susan Q and G.I. Joe, pumpkin under the mistletoe. Hey, ain't nothing silent about this night. Put your nose so right Let's go through the town tonight I said get on Rudolph We got to get through this town Disco Claus by Bionic, one of the songs chosen for us by Questlove. Um, you've said that as a creator, you're 98% groove and 2% melody. And the track you just played is very much groove. <laughs> very much so, yes. Yeah. I mean, drums Drums are, that's my calling card, you know. Um, and for me, there's a lot of really obscure Christmas records that might, like uh, they'll they'll do their version of like Little Drummer Boy or something like that. So, kind of on the market when people are shopping for records, they're looking for really good records with a lot of drum breaks on them. So, Christmas records are often, you know, you're guaranteed to find one from a funk group in the '70s. Little Drummer Boy is one of the Christmas songs, the original recording of it that just really, uh-huh. really drove me crazy. Really? And, <laughs> oh, yeah. They played it so much on the radio when I was growing up. And yeah, tell me you like it? It's hard to escape it. Um, yeah, all throughout like first and second grade, like every Christmas pageant, I think it was expected that I was supposed to play uh, Little Drummer Boy. Oh, because you were so, the drummer. Because I was a drummer, oh, right? Oh, no. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so, did well, you actually, like the song because you, know, you got to play? That bad, though. Um, I probably did it like four times in my life. I didn't do it like every year, but you know, oftentimes in school, at the Christmas pageant, even even if it were like something totally the opposite, like our production of the Nutcracker or something like that, like they would find some sort of excuse to, you know, give eight year old Amir a drumming spotlight in the program. <laughs> oh boy. Well, let's hear a song that's lyrically the opposite of It's the Most Happiest Time of the Year. 
Um, uh-huh. uh, so this is James Brown's Santa Claus, oh. Santa Claus from 1968. This is so hilarious to me. Yeah, why, <laughs> I'm sorry. Why is it hilarious to you? <laughs> um, this song, this particular song is my one, this is my introduction to Christmas music. Two, it's my introduction to James Brown. Um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So the first time you yeah, heard a Christmas yeah, song, I know. and the first time you heard James <laughs> Brown was this? <laughs> yeah, my first James Brown was this. No, it was just that, you know what it is? You know, I was a kid of the Muppets era, and there was a tortured genius musician on Sesame Street, and his name was Don Music. And he was always full of self-doubt and insecurity. And whenever he couldn't find the right words or the right chord, he just like, you know, he bang his head on the piano with like a tortured soul. And I, you know, it was exaggerated. So I used to think it was funny. And James Brown has a voice similar to my grandmother's. So, and she's a very anim- <laughs> she's a very animated woman. So, you know, as a baby, I thought that was grandma singing all those songs because, like, James Brown really belts like a female gospel singer. You know what I mean? Like with his high notes and his yelling. So, when I hear this very, very depressing song about misfortune, like this, this is the. This is this is the Murphy's Law of Christmas songs. Um, I don't know. I think my three-year-old self just thought that grandma was performing like a, a comedy skit or something like that. So I added that song for the ironic reasons. Like, I think this is one of the most hilarious songs ever because James Brown is overselling the woe is me character of the song. So yeah, He's asking Santa and the Lord, why does he have to suffer so? So, right, okay. exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, let, let, let's hear it. <laughs> right. This is James Brown from 1968. I've wanted so many things, I wanted so many. But you experienced the wants when you live in the ghetto. But now I understand what it means to be a man. So there's one thing I'd like to know. I've been good. Lord have mercy, so good you know. Well, why do I have to suffer so? Santa Claus, Santa Claus, please, please, please don't make me, don't make me suffer so. Christmas come, but once a year, I want somebody, please, 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 bring me some Christmas cheer. I need a Christmas chair, Sunny Cloud, please, please, don't make me suffer so. Can't take it no more. That was James Brown from 1968. I'm still processing that this was like your introduction to James Brown. <laughs> yes, but see, after that, then I wanted to hear all the songs where he's like screaming and crying. Amir Questlove Thompson speaking with Terry Gross. He'll play more Christmas recordings after we take a short break. I'm Sam Brigger, and this is Fresh Air Weekend. 
This is Fresh Air Weekend. I'm Sam Brigger in for Terry Gross. Let's get back to Terry's interview with Questlove, who, among other things, is the co-founder and leader of The Roots, the house band for The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. He won an Oscar this year for directing Summer of Soul and is the author of several books, including Music is History. This is another very unusual recording with a story behind it. It's called Santa Claus is a Black Man, and it's by Akeem and Teddy Van from 1970. Teddy Van, her father, yeah. Yeah, Teddy Van, her father. And she was, what, five when she recorded this? She was five when she did this. So, you know, Akeem Van is, you know, most would know her. She's a staple in the, the Prospect Heights area because she's the owner of, of, of a really awesome bakery. Um, it's called the Bakery on Virgin, and it's in Prospect Heights. But the weirdest thing was back when Wendy Williams was a DJ on Hot 97, um, this is like in the 90s, she had a Christmas-themed show once, and I remember they played this song called Santa Claus is a Black Man, and um, I called the station and just left a note. Like, I don't know if you guys know who I am and whatever, this quest love of the roots, and I got to know the name of that song. And uh, shockingly, I think like two days later, they emailed me back and sent me a cassette copy of the song because that's the times we were living in. And... um What's also notable about this song is that um, I believe that uh, singer Luther Vandross, who at the time was a local singer, and ironically, the one act I had to leave off of uh, Summer of Soul, uh, he's also singing background on the song. Oh, oh. Well, apparently, Teddy Van, Kim's father, um, yeah. wrote um, one of Luther Vandross's hits. Yeah, Power of Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I could see why. Okay, see why he was singing back up on this. <laughs> okay, yeah. all right. So, um, um, so you loved about the song what? <laughs> well, I just love the 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 absolute innocence of it. Like, similar to I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. This this is this is Christmas through the eyes of a child who, you know, the the whole point is that kids don't know that their parents are really Santa Claus. So, you know, this is, besides I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, this is sort of another song in that vein where, you know. Um, he looked just like you, Daddy. She, yeah, she doesn't realize that yeah. her dad is actually Santa Claus. Yeah, that so, he's, he's dressed as Santa Claus. Okay, yeah. so, so let's hear it. That's one of the songs selected for us by Questlove, who we asked to select some Christmas songs to play for us. And happily, yeah. 
<laughs> Happily for us, he, he agreed. Um, so what was Santa Claus to you? Did your parents tell you that there was a Santa Claus or that that was somebody who only existed <laughs> you know, in, it's in weird. movies? Um, it, yeah, Santa, I was one of those kids. It's weird that um, if I see a clown, I love it. But if I saw Santa Claus, I was afraid of it. Um, so every time I saw Santa Claus before the age of three, I just get super panicky. And so the effects that, you know, you, you know, people that are like deathly afraid of clowns, I was deathly afraid of Santa Claus. So what's weird is that probably the two most important gifts that I've gotten, well, were both my drum sets, you know, my drum set when I was uh, three years old in my drum set when I was seven years old. And I definitely know that my parents did this for me, not Santa Claus. One of the surprises on your playlist is uh-huh. a, a track from a Marvin Gaye album from 1972. The track is called Christmas in the City. It's an instrumental. Right. <laughs> why did you choose an instrument? Uh, Marvin Gaye is such a great singer. Why did you find like the instrumental track <laughs> that that you have no idea is about Christmas? Well, this okay. So this song, although it was recorded in '72, this only found its way like it only circulated amongst like the bootleg collectors amongst the years, and finally Motown like maybe 10 or 15 years ago, finally re-released it on a compilation. But the early 70s was a really interesting time for technology. And there's a lot of uh, futuristic, uh, sonic futuristic synthesizer gurus, like people like uh, Raymond Scott, who are like developing these new sounds and these groups like uh, this group named Tonto. Stevie Wonder hears the Tonto record. And he actually tracks them down at their house and says, I have these sounds in my head. I want to make music with you. And then Stevie Wonder winds up making like five of the most life-changing albums of his career. So, you know, it's, it's a period in which people were just discovering space and, and the new sounds and all this stuff. And so there's a point where like everyone in black music gets a, a monophonic synthesizer which is basically a keyboard device that only allows you to play like one note at a time so you can't play chords yet like a polyphonic won't come until like 1975 76 with stevie wonder's songs in the key of life but you know there's this period between like 67 and 73 in which like one note at a time you're hearing this like weird space music and leave it to marvin Gaye to sort of in that similar way that James Brown um, paints uh, a depressing or a hilariously depressing Christmas. Marvin Gaye's, uh, like I can almost imagine Barry Gordy just saying like, look, Marvin, just make a, a, a Christmas song real quick. And Marvin's like, all right, hold my beer. And <laughs> Christmas in the City is just one of the most, <laughs> it's one of the most depressing sounding <laughs> like sad loneliest like it's it's almost like the music i would expect the charlie brown christmas special to be as depressed as charlie brown is so i don't know it's just something hilarious about hearing marvin gay struggle with this monophonic synthesizer you know turning it into the blues so that's why i chose it 
So, so let's hear it. So this is uh, Marvin Gaye, Christmas in the City. That's a Marvin Gaye track without Marvin Gaye singing, which you know kind of makes no sense. But <laughs> <laughs> but but there but there you go, and that's one of the Christmas songs. It's called Christmas in the City, chosen for us by Questlove. Um, so let's get to Stevie Wonder. I know you love Stevie Wonder, and he's in your, your yes. film performing in um, Summer mm-hmm. of Soul. And this is a promotional disc from from Britain. It's a kind of Christmas yeah. greetings message. It's not even a whole song. So tell us about the origin of this. Well, I, you know why I chose this? Stevie Wonder is world famous for his unique jingles for radio stations. You know, if you, if you search the internet high and low, you can find some that he's done over the years and over the decades. Um, so these jingles, there's actually a Philadelphia version of this particular jingle that um, I grew up with. And that's the thing that's always close to my heart. So there was a point in time in which Stevie Wonder might take time out to craft maybe somewhere between uh, 30 to 50 individualized, customized radio station jingles for you know the, the, the territories that were playing his music the most. And so that's why I chose this one. Um, and this is sort of a companion piece to the Marvin Gaye Christmas in the City bit, of which this is Stevie Wonder playing synthesizer. Um, This time he's playing a a polyphonic synthesizer, which gives him the ability to hit all the notes together. So this kind of the opposite. This is is when synthesizers get in the right hands of its creator. (laughs) Okay, here's Stevie Wonder. Hi, this is Stevie Wonder. In behalf of the Motown family, I'd like to say Happy Holiday from all of us to you. I wish I could hear more of that, but I guess there isn't more of that. Very brief. Sometimes you... You know, you, you could make a point in 26 seconds. I mean, look at the Ramones. They, they made a life-changing record, and not one song is over two minutes. So, you know, I, th- I think more artists need to follow suit and figure and challenge themselves to make impactful art in, in less than, uh, you know, the normal time. Do you think he did his promotional uh, recordings because he wanted to or because the record company urged him to or because it would, like... Yeah, I mean, Stevie Wonder came from, Stevie Wonder not only came from like the first generation of Motown, but he also came from the first generation of a professional um, black record company that had to cross every T and dot every I. So, you know, not only did you have to release your single, you had to make a mono version of it, a stereo version of it. And then some of these songs, uh, you know, if you, you took time out to sing the Spanish versions of them, 
you took time out to sing the Italian version. Like I have a, a, a collection of Stevie Wonder singles in other languages. Um, you know, it's just maximizing on your appeal. And Stevie Wonder had the, the means and the technology to just knock this all out. And it's not like he's alive in a period in which he can get distracted by an iPhone or television or that sort of thing. So, you know, I can imagine that this level of creativity was his bread and butter. So what songs do you plan on uh, performing this Christmas? Like in the next you know what? Um, few days, yeah. I think, you know, so far, this, this is my favorite time of the year because um, at the Tonight Show, this is when the Roots have to brush up on their Christmas history. So I'll say like, you know, when the audience comes to the Tonight Show, we, we do a, a warm-up song for the crowd before the show starts. So we're going to have to learn. Uh, we always do Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC. Um, we, my favorite all-time Christmas song is uh, Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. And, uh, you know, he, Paul doesn't like it too much. Every time I talk to him and tell him, like, not only is my favorite Christmas song, but it, it might be my favorite Paul McCartney post-Beatles song. And he's just, like, cringing his face, like, no, no, <laughs> I, that was a rush job. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm, we're going to do a lot of uh, wonderful Christmas time and, and, and uh, Christmas in Hollis. Should we play wonderful Christmas time since you like it so much? It's my favorite. Yes, I love it. Okay, so here's Paul McCartney. The mood is right. The spirit's up. We're here tonight. And that's enough. Feelings here that only comes to time of year. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. That's Paul McCartney doing Wonderful Christmas Time, which is apparently Questlove's favorite Christmas song. Um, and almost my top five Paul McCartney song. We'll hear more from Terry's interview with Amir Questlove Thompson after a break. I'm Sam Brigger, and this is Fresh Air Weekend. This is Fresh Air Weekend. I'm Sam Brigger in for Terry Gross. Let's get back to Terry's interview with Questlove, who, among other things, is the co-founder and leader of The Roots, the house band for The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. He won an Oscar this year for directing Summer of Soul and is the author of several books, including Music is History. I want to talk about the Oscar that you won this year for Summer of Soul. In 1969, a filmmaker filmed the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, a series of concerts um, in Harlem at a park there. And the TV networks he was hoping would make this into a movie decided to pass. And the footage Mm -hmm. just sat in his home for decades. And you got access to it, turned it into a film that's also a commentary not only on the festival, but on the era and how the festival represented a turning point in 
pop culture and especially in in black pop culture. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what the film was about. You won the Oscar, and you gave a very emotional speech. And the category that you won in best documentary was the yeah. category right after um, Will Smith walked on stage and slapped Chris Rock. And yeah. it's that was a hard moment to follow because that was perhaps one of the most bizarre moments in Oscar history. Yeah. And then you get on stage and you give this emotional speech. Um, I was uh, watching TV. How or where right. were you of what happened from where you were seated? Um, this particular year, we all just sat spread out throughout the Kodak Theater. And they had all of us way in the back. We were in the, like, the far back row. So that said, I knew that Chris Rock was presenting my category. Um, so immediately, I started going into trans meditation. It wasn't until I heard the second expletive from the audience. And, you know, Will Smith wasn't mic'd. So I couldn't hear what he was saying. And I was just like, ooh, this is a really bad sketch. Um, (laughs) And so (laughs) as I walked to the stage, my first sign of, wait a minute, what's going on here? Was that just everyone looked like, not saying that I had in my mind like what a hero's welcome should be like, but the walk was so long from the back to that stage that the energy of like Steven Spielberg talking to me for like 10 minutes and the reception like, oh my God, you did that marvelous film? Oh, my. like I wasn't getting that energy. I was getting more or less like this sin for help. Like it was that look, like I was looking at my friends like, wait, why, why is everyone looking so, what's going on? And then as I walked up the stairs for like half a second, when my back was turned to you guys, uh, the audience, like that perspective, I kind of looked at Chris and I muttered like as a ventriloquist, I was like, wait a minute, that was real? And then I turned around and realized, oh God, what just happened? Yeah. And I didn't know. So when I tell you it took, it was all the meditation that I've done for a year and a half that led me to those next three minutes in which I can absolutely positively tell you with no exaggeration. I have zero clue on what I said. Um, I'll be honest with you, the moment was a little too traumatic for me to even revisit. Like I have not, I literally don't know what I said. I just, I said some words and Obviously, it made sense because everyone's reaction was like, wow, you really, you normalized that moment. Um, I have a clip of the speech that you gave because I wanted to be able to play it for our listeners. Given what you just said, I'm not sure whether you'd want to hear it. I'm all right with it. Are you? Okay. So this is is the part where you you walk up on stage and you basically say Mm -hmm. that, you know, the other people are so great who are who were also nominated and you praise them and then you start talking about yourself and the film. It's not lost on me that the story of the Harlem Cultural Festival should have been something that my beautiful mother, my dad, should have 
taken me to when I was five years old. And I'm, this is such a stunning moment for me right now. Um, but this is not about me. This is about marginalized people in Harlem that needed to heal from pain. And just know that in 2022, you know, this is not just a 1969 story about marginalized people in Harlem. This is a story of, 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 I'm sorry, I'm just overwhelmed right now. Um, well, our listeners just heard that clip, but you weren't able to hear it because we're in a different studio than we usually are. So I regret that you didn't hear it, but maybe, maybe you didn't even want to. But I, I will say that you really started to tear up when you said, it's not lost on me that the story of the Harlem Festival should have been, you know, some, my beautiful mother and my dad should have taken me to when I was five years old. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, like the camera goes to your mother and she's just like weeping and mm-hmm. you're tearing up and you had to kind of stop talking for a few seconds. Um, were you thinking when you said that, that your parents had the possibility of taking you there to the festival? Uh, yeah, like I, I remember just the general feeling. Like I, I just knew that at that moment, um, everything kind of went out the window. Someone joked with me like, wow, that moment was so dark that you even forgot your producer's names. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you did. This, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was such a, uh, I just heard, maybe it's the voice of my father. Like I, I was wearing, um, there was a piece that I was wearing, which inside of that, that silver pouch, I take the ashes of my father, um, where oh. I go. And I don't know. I just, I, I just kind of, I felt like just talk from the heart. Like, what do you feel right now? And I just. You know, I, well, I wanted you know, when to you, relate When you to started the, tearing up, you clutched that. You just kind of grabbed. I, I was going to ask you what that was. Yeah, that was, my, that was my dad. Yeah, oh. that was my father. So you were holding and, on to um, his ashes when you were making that speech. Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, I, I just I felt like um, at that moment uh, to just talk from the heart. But, you know, I also never felt like it was ever about me. That it was just that I was allowed the 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 honor and the privilege to tell the story of a group of people that were often neglected in history, and I wanted to make the movie that I truly believe that you know five year old Amir should have seen when he was a kid. Like that film should have been out by 1973, 74, 75, and my parents should have taken me to see it. So I'd like to close with another song. And I'm thinking, like, do you have a favorite, and I'm, I guess I'll get a little churchy here, <laughs> do you have a favorite, like, real Christmas, like, song that is, say, like a gospel song? Because I know you, you love Mahalia Jackson. She's in Summer of Soul. And... Yeah. Um, uh, Mavis Staples. So is, is there a song like from that tradition that you'd like to end with? You know, there's so many to choose from. I will say, though, uh, <laughs> there's a tradition of Silent Night that's done by the Temptations. 
It's their 73 version with Dennis Edwards singing lead vocals. And it's almost unspoken. Like, it's, it's every black household in the 70s. That's the only version of Silent Night that exists. Um, a good friend of mine says that if the first three words of any ad lib from a soul singer are the words in my mind then you know the abyss levels of deep that that version of the song is going to be. And that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what Dennis Edwards does. The fact that his first three words have nothing to do with Silent Night, which is in my mind, um, which is kind of like a go-to, like I'm going to get real deep for you here when, you know, before I start sermonizing. Like that's that's a warning that you're about to get something special. And so... I don't know, like the Temptations version, their slow version of Silent Night is is damn near a religion in, in black households. Oh, thank you for choosing that. Questlove, it's always such a great treat when you're on our show. Thank you so much for choosing music for us. And I wish you, you know, a really good Christmas and a very healthy and happy and meditative and fulfilling yes. 2023. Um, thank you, Terry. Yeah, it's just always such a pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you. Amir Questlove Thompson speaking with Terry Gross. Questlove is the co-founder of the hip-hop band The Roots, the house band for The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. If you want to hear the full versions of the songs on Questlove's Christmas playlist, and maybe even play them on Christmas Day, you'll find links on our website, freshair.npr.org. If you want to see his Oscar and Grammy award-winning documentary, Summer of Soul, it's streaming on Hulu and Disney+. Our film critic Justin Chang saw a lot of movies this year, at film festivals, in theaters, and in his living room. Here he is with a list of his 11 favorite movies of 2022. It was a terrific year for movies, but also in some ways a dispiriting one. Sure, blockbusters like Top Gun Maverick and the just-released Avatar The Way of Water brought audiences back to theaters in droves. But romantic comedies and grown-up dramas had more than the usual trouble finding audiences. Some of the movies on my year-end list passed quickly and quietly through theaters. Some are still in theaters, and a few will open more widely in 2023. Whether on the big screen or at home, I hope you'll take the time to seek them out. The best movie I saw in 2022 is called No Bears, which will begin a slow theatrical rollout this month. The brilliant Iranian filmmaker Jafar Panahi plays a version of himself, also named Jafar Panahi, who's spending several days in a remote village, where he becomes embroiled in a tense local drama. It's a fierce critique of small-town traditionalism and religious dogma. But while this is an angry and ultimately devastating movie, 
it's also a surprisingly playful and inventive one. Here I should note that Panahi, a longtime thorn in the side of the Iranian government, was recently imprisoned. No Bears itself is a powerful act of protest, and one of his very best movies. The next two on my list are both deeply moving parent-child stories drawn from their filmmakers' real-life experiences. At number two is After Sun, an achingly sad memory piece from the Scottish director Charlotte Wells. Paul Mescal and Frankie Corio are pitch-perfect as a father and daughter trying to connect on a summer holiday, a journey that builds to an ending of startling emotional force. At number three on my list is The Eternal Daughter, the English filmmaker Joanna Hogg's sly riff on the haunted house movie. It stars Tilda Swinton in two roles, a mother and daughter, but this spooky sad ghost story never feels gimmicky. My fourth favorite movie of the year is Todd Field's mesmerizing, much-acclaimed drama, Tar, starring a never-better Kate Blanchett as a famous classical conductor whose life is gradually consumed by scandal. You've probably heard less about my number five movie, Benediction, Terence Davis's film about the English poet and World War I veteran Siegfried Sassoon. It's a barbed, tender, and finally wrenching portrait of a gay artist, magnificently played by Jack Loden. In this sharply written scene, Sassoon quarrels with his unfaithful lover, the actor and musician Ivor Novello, played by Jeremy Irvine. Surprised to see Fenton here. Why? I know lots of people. Fenton is just another admirer. Fan. Both seem to me to be very friendly after so short an acquaintance. You know, I get the distinct impression that I'm being grilled and that the storm in an egg cup is brewing. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be petty, but I... I am very jealous of you. Yes, well... Affairs are always messy. Who can know the secrets of a human heart? Usually the people who don't have one. Well, my, my, hasn't it gone chilly in here? My number six movie is Decision to Leave, a grandly entertaining murder mystery from the South Korean filmmaker Park Chan-wook. Starring Park Hae-il as a homicide detective and Tang Wei as the femme fatale he's investigating, the movie is an elaborate romantic riff on the classic Vertigo. That makes it a nice match for the year's other first-rate Hitchcockian thriller, and my number seven movie of the year, Kimmy. Steven Soderbergh's taut and exhilarating genre piece is basically rear window for the age of Alexa, starring a terrific Zoe Kravitz as a COVID-cautious shut-in turned amateur sleuth. The eighth movie on my list is Crimes of the Future, a grim dystopian shocker set in a time when surgery has become an artistic and sometimes recreational pursuit. Like a lot of David Cronenberg movies, it's not for the faint of heart, but it does touch the heart and the mind in eerily provocative ways. One of its stars, the marvelous French actor Léa Seydoux, also appears in my very different number nine movie, One Fine Morning, directed by Mia Hansen-Love. In scene after beautifully observed scene, a single mom struggles to take care of her ailing father while opening herself up to the possibility of new love. The tenth movie on my list is Eo, 
a heart-rending story about a donkey making its way through a cruel and unforgiving world. It's a tribute to the classic 1966 film O Hazar Balthazar, but the great Polish director Jerzy Skolomowski approaches his four-legged subject with a formal and emotional brilliance all his own. And finally, I've reserved an 11th spot for Nope, Jordan Peele's completely original and wonderfully subversive sci-fi horror western. It's thrilling, disturbing, and has a lot to say about an entertainment industry that reduces human experience to big-budget spectacle. Like every movie on my list, Nope is one I recommend with an unequivocal yes. Justin Chang is film critic for the LA Times. Some of his movie recommendations are streaming and still in theaters, and a few will open more widely in 2023. His favorite movie of the year, No Bears, will begin to appear in theaters this month. Fresh Air Weekend is produced this week by Thea Challoner. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. Our technical director is Audrey Bentham, and our engineer is Adam Staniszewski. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Sallett, Phyllis Myers, Roberta Shorrock, Lauren Krenzel, Heidi Saman, Teresa Madden, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Seth Kelly, Susan Yakundi, and Joel Wolfram. Our digital media producer is Molly C.V. Nesper. For Terry Gross, I'm Sam Brigger. 